0: Welcome back to the Better Boundaries podcast brought to you by Utahns for a Responsive Government. I'm Katie Wright, Executive Director of Better Boundaries and your host. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to provide a quick update on Utah's gerrymandering case. On July 11th, the Utah Supreme Court will hear the plaintiffs and the defendants' interlocutory appeals. This case was always headed to the Utah Supreme Court, and we look forward to the hearing this summer. In addition to keeping you updated on Utah's gerrymandering lawsuit, this season will focus our attention on the election process in Utah. We will include interviews with county clerks, election officials, and the people on the ground level who make our democratic process work. But before we do that, we're going to discuss the 2023 Utah legislative session. There were more than 48 election bills, and today we're highlighting a few important ones. Thank you for joining us. Today we are joined by Taylor Morgan of Morgan and May Public Affairs. Taylor is a political consultant for Better Boundaries and was up on Capitol Hill tracking the significant number of election-related bills the legislature considered. Taylor, my first question for you is to just take a step back and think about Utah and our elections. We are consistently lauded as one of the best election systems in the country. What do you attribute that to?
1: Well, I would attribute that to a commitment from our state elections office, uh, the 29 county clerks throughout the state, uh, a history of innovation and pilot programs throughout Utah, and really uh, support from the voters in finding ways to make elections inclusive and representative of the voters. If we go back to 2014, in 2014, Utah's elections uh, were, well, our participation rate had dropped to actually the lowest 10 states in the country in terms of voter participation. Utah had always historically been a top five state uh, when it came to voter participation. And so in 2014, uh, a couple really significant changes happened. First, uh, SB 54 was passed by the Utah legislature, a compromise between count my vote and the legislature that created a dual path to access the primary election ballot. This resulted in uh, 90 percent more primary elections, more candidates, uh, candidates engaging voters through nominating signatures in the process, And also in 2014, Utah launched its uh, statewide by mail voting pilot program. That became the norm. And uh, between 2014 and 2020, Utah's had the second highest rate of voter participation increase in the country. So I would attribute, so Utah truly is the gold standard when it comes to our elections. And I would really attribute that to uh, citizen advocacy and uh, innovation by election officials. Those two commitments together have really made our elections the best.
0: It's wonderful to get back into the history. And I know that um, vote by mail, 93% of Utahans participated in voting by mail. And so not only are we innovative, like people are, these innovations are very popular. Let's um, pivot to this session specifically and talk about some of the pieces of legislation that were proposed. First, let's talk about HB 393. It is a bill that was proposed by Representative Tusher. Can you explain what HB 393 aimed to do?
1: Yeah, so if I can, um, I hate to speak for uh, the Utah Republican Party, but my understanding is that... Uh, the Utah Republican Party has become very concerned about their lack of relevance in the candidate nomination process. Over the last few cycles, the party has experienced a very, very low rate of turnout at neighborhood caucus meetings. It is at those caucus meetings where a county and state delegates are elected and those delegates then go on to nominate candidates in the county and state convention. Well, the fact of the matter is the dual path available to candidates under SB 54 has resulted in more and more uh, candidates in Utah gathering signatures to guarantee their spot on the primary election ballot. That has left the Republican Party feeling uh, powerless and feeling like their path to the ballot is not as relevant as the signature path. So. House Bill 393, as I understand it, was an effort uh, to give the party back some relevance by setting a threshold at convention. Uh, The original language in 393 uh, would have established that in the event any one candidate wins 70% or more of the delegates vote at a party convention, then the primary election would be canceled. The signature candidates would be disqualified and ultimately that winner at convention would be the party's nominee um so if i speak on speaking on behalf of count my vote we vigorously opposed that piece of legislation Uh, we originally threatened that if it passed we would launch a new ballot initiative ultimately we came to the table uh to have conversations and work closely with representative tusher Uh, to talk to the party, to talk to legislative leadership. And ultimately, uh, we agreed not to move that bill forward as it was this session, but to continue the conversation after the session about ways we can improve uh, SB 54's dual path.
0: And thank you. I think it should be noted that you have been really critical um, leadership under Count My Vote and that at Better Boundaries, we really support any effort to give voters more choices and are really supportive of SB 54 and your efforts in um, your Count My Vote line of work that you do. Next up, let's talk about HB 537. Um, There were multiple pieces of legislation which aimed to restrict Utah's vote by mail program which we've already noted is wildly popular among Utahns. One of those bills was HB 537 proposed by Representative Kira Berklin. Can you explain what um, it and other bills sought to do with Utah's vote by mail program?
1: Well, the reality, the political reality is that during the COVID pandemic, uh, many states around the country Uh, rushed to implement uh, large-scale by-mail voting. And consequently, because of that rush to implement by-mail voting on such a large scale, many states had a lot of uh, road bumps and a lot of uh, just technical or process issues with vote by mail uh, during the 2020 election. And those whose candidates lost in 2020 often have chosen or decided to blame vote by mail uh, and make vote by mail a bit of a uh, pariah in terms of far right wing conservative politics. Utah, on the other hand, as I mentioned earlier, because Utah had piloted by mail voting over the course of a decade before 2020, it was the norm. It was the standard here in Utah. Unfortunately, we we see a handful of far right conservative legislators trying to play uh, to a voice of extremists and conspiracy theorists and and trying to run politically motivated uh, pieces of legislation to undo by-mail voting in Utah. Not not in response to anything that has happened in Utah, mind you, but simply as a political response Uh, to some problems with vote by mail in other states. Fortunately, uh, none of those efforts succeeded. Uh, The majority of legislators of both parties saw through those thinly veiled political attempts and and those bills were killed this session.
0: That really is great news um, for Utahans who enjoy the convenience of putting their ballots in the mail, but also the ability to sit at home and really research the issues and the candidates. That's what I like so much about it.
1: Yeah. Um, And if I can, Katie, I'll just add the point that it really was uh, Thomas Wright, then chair of the Utah Republican Party, who championed by mail voting. It was a uh, effort really led and and ultimately championed by the Utah Republican Party to get higher Republican turnout. So it's not voting by mail is not a. Democratic power grab in Utah, it is sometimes seen that way, but ultimately it leads to voter, higher voter turnout, which in a uh, one party dominated state simply results in that one party turning out at a higher rate. All voters voted a higher rate using by mail voting.
0: Which which ultimately um, results in a net higher amount of Republican voters. That's a really interesting point. Thank you for adding that. as listeners may recall, Better Boundaries originated through a voter initiative in 2018. We had over half a million Utahns, a majority, voting to establish an independent redistricting commission. And this ability to pass uh, voter initiatives or put initiatives on the ballot is part of our Utah Constitution. Our framers adopted Article 6, Section 1 which vests the power of legislating in the legislature of the state of Utah and the people of the state of Utah through that initiative process. So we at Better Boundaries have been consistently supportive of the efforts of Utahns to engage in the Utahan process. So this brings us to the final piece of legislation, which was proposed this session that we wanna discuss, which is House Bill 422. And it was accompanied by House Joint Resolution 17 proposed by Representative Jason Kyle. Can you tell us what this legislation seeked to accomplish?
1: Yeah, this is such an important one and really want to give better boundaries, uh, better boundaries, supporters, uh, sponsors, certainly Katie, you a lot of credit uh, for being directly involved with defeating uh, these items uh, of legislation this session. These would have really been very troubling, very problematic uh, when it comes to Utah's constitutional right uh, of initiative and referenda. The Utah Constitution is very, very brief when it comes to the right of initiative. It, It simply guarantees that right, and then it defers to the legislature on defining uh, exactly what that process looks like and how voters go about exercising that right and, and so of course, the Utah legislature has over time restricted that right to the ballot by making it almost one one could argue impossibly difficult to uh, to pass a ballot initiative in Utah. Of course, better boundaries deserves a lot of credit for qualifying for and passing on the ballot back in two thousand and eighteen. Here we go, fast forward to this session, Uh, these twin bills, HGR 17 and House Bill 422, would have required any initiative that raised taxes in Utah to to not only qualify for the ballot through the very, very onerous requirements that exist now, it would have also required that initiative to pass on the ballot by not just a simple majority of voters, but by a 60% threshold on the ballot. The issue with that is that the language was vague enough in that bill that it could have potentially applied to any and all initiatives that carried a fiscal note. And every initiative really carries a fiscal note. A fiscal note is what the what the governor's office says an initiative will cost taxpayers if it is passed. And so that was, when we talk about the right of initiative, this, these bills would have been an incredibly difficult new hurdle for any uh, citizen initiative effort in Utah to overcome. And and so better boundaries engaged on these bills, opposed these bills, uh, called its supporters to action and ultimately defeated House Bill 422 and HGR 17 it just goes to show that it is so important for citizen groups whether it's count my vote whether it's better boundaries or others to be constantly vigilant on protecting that right
0: and we were really pleased to be cc'd on so many of the emails that our supporters sent on to their legislators and they were very thoughtful and compelling and so we're just really grateful to all of our grassroots supporters who um stepped into action on this Can you explain a little bit more about the purpose of a joint resolution and why it was necessary? Because that's confusing to me and others.
1: This is very confusing. And this is, again, why it's so important that we were vigilant and that we watch these things very carefully. So in order to amend the Utah Constitution, Uh, You have to pass a a resolution, a joint resolution, meaning joint House and Senate together in a joint resolution have to pass uh, language that puts it before the voters on the next general election ballot through a joint resolution and a two thirds vote in both the House and the Senate. So we had, these had to go together. This HGR 17 was the ballot measure that would have gone before the voters in November of 2024 to approve this constitutional change to their right of initiative. The accompanying House Bill 422, again, is what would have further defined that the exact threshold in Utah law. So as we mentioned before, Katie, that, The Constitution guarantees the people's right of initiative and referenda, but it does not define that process. Utah code defines that right in the process. And so anytime the legislature wants to try to change that right that is constitutionally guaranteed, it has to do so through a ballot measure, a joint resolution and an accompanying piece of legislation that updates the process in Utah code. And now that all of your listeners are asleep, uh, hopefully we have answered that question.
0: What I I appreciate that deep dive into that piece, because it does show that it's very it's challenging um, to actually amend the Constitution. And that's great. I think it is important that we note to our listeners that since 2018, there have been many changes to Utah code in how um, initiatives get on the ballot that make it ever, ever, ever more challenging. And so, um, although we were able to push back against this amendment, there have been other changes, unfortunately, that have been enacted into law.
1: Katie, can I add one point to that, that I think your listeners will find interesting? Uh, The legislature is getting a lot more creative and frankly, a lot more effective at how they are attempting to change Utah's constitution. Uh, Just as they tried to tie a higher ballot threshold to tax-based initiatives, which was problematic, we are now seeing or we have seen how the legislature is attempting to remove the earmark for public education by tying it to a future repeal of the sales tax on food. The legislature knows that if they simply put an earmark removal for education on the ballot directly by itself, it would likely fail. And so the legislature is being creative politically in tying a removal of that earmark to a repeal of the sales tax on food, which has populist support. So I think it's important that we are aware of how this legislature is consolidating power and how they're becoming far more effective politically in in trying to change Utah's constitution.
0: Thank you for making that note and and really bringing, highlighting that. I think that is the antithesis to our mission here at Better Boundaries, which is really to bring accountability to government and prevent runaway power through competitive districts, districts that reflect the will of voters. And um, their ability to do this work is in part because of how gerrymandered we are as a state. Um, So that's a really good point to make, thank you. I have one final question for you, Taylor. Um, For our listeners, what can they do to continue to engage with their legislators to support accessible and transparent elections in Utah?
1: I think your listeners and we need more Utahns to engage in the process. Uh, it, It is so clear during the legislative session that a very, very small group of highly vocal uh, political hobbyists, you could also call them bullies, um, they have a disproportionate amount of power, not because they bring good information to the table, not because they have good relationships or trust with their legislators, but really only because they're very loud and very persistent. In order to drown out those extreme radical voices, we need the voices of normal, everyday Utah's to become much louder and much more consistent in contacting their legislators. And this goes for, for voters and legislators of all parties, right? We need voters to know who their legislators are and to engage with them year round, and especially during the session so that uh, those voters drown out the tiny handful of extremist voices.
0: Thank you, I appreciate that. We are very lucky at Better Boundaries to have just an incredibly active base of grassroots supporters and activists who when we ask, make those phone calls and write those emails. So we're deeply appreciative of them and um, I wholeheartedly agree that we need to engage more Utahans who care about um, making this state a great place for everyone in engaging the legislative process. Um, Thank you to you, Taylor, who spends so much time up on the Hill advocating for Utahans and voters. Um, We appreciate you joining us on this episode of the Better Boundaries podcast.
1: Thank you. And thanks so much to your supporters who really played a big part in, in helping this session.
0: Thank you for joining us today. In our next episode, Better Boundaries Deputy Director Kyle Fryant will be interviewing a Utah County clerk. We hope you'll tune in and follow our podcast for updates on Utah's gerrymandering case and the election process in Utah.